near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Near-Death Experience Podcast, item number 370, December 21st, 2021. The NDE of Maria. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. Today we're going to share the experience of, now I think this is pronounced Maria, it's spelled M-A-E-R-I-J-A. If anybody knows a better pronunciation, go ahead and tell me, but uh, here we go. We're going to call her Maria. Maria says, This happened to me in 1978. I am sad to admit that I was born into a Catholic family, but my parents never totally believed or converted. My mom was pregnant with me as her second child. She was eight months pregnant, riding a bicycle, and had an accident. I was born almost on an ambulance bed in 1971. At a very early age, I understood why I was not a very welcomed baby. When I was three years old, I was a very talkative little girl and had witnessed some events. I had the tendency to speak my mind and was very close to my dad. I mentioned to him what I had seen. It was so innocent at the time, I didn't know why that had caused so much trouble. My life took a sad turn. I had to act normal while my dad was present, but I was being punished by my own mother. I was forced to keep silent. I thought this was what normal was, so I always tried to be happy and prayed to God that my mom would show love to me. In December 1978, my mother was upset with my dad for not arriving home soon enough. It was a very cold winter, and we were poor. My mom wanted me and my brothers to go to sleep. She put the little Mexican grill called the Bracero and placed it in the middle of the room. Then she lit the charcoal. She covered the bottom of the door with newspaper so no air could come in from outside. I felt like something hit my chest, and I got a bad feeling like she was about to do something terrible. She was incredibly upset and acting irrational, so I asked her to stop what she was doing. All she did was scream at me to obey and go back to sleep. She locked the door and the windows. The last thing I remember was trying to sleep on a bed next to my brother. I was feeling so scared that my heart was beating so fast. I could feel the sound of my heart all over my body, in my head, my ears, and even my feet. I started to cry. I covered my mouth with my left hand and assumed a fetal position. 
I closed my eyes and recited prayers. I thought, please, God, don't let me die without having my first communion. I wanted to feel the sensation of receiving your body and your blood at least once. The fire started, and I remember a weird feeling rising in my throat. I opened my eyes and I saw a black cloud all over the room. I started coughing and my head was so heavy. I felt dizzy and that was the last thing I was aware of. The room was quickly filled with toxic smoke. We all suffered from carbon monoxide poisoning and lost consciousness. Then I saw a beautiful light on top of my bed. I will describe it as a golden figure that was calmly radiating light. The figure extended its left arm and pulled at my hand, so I got up and surveyed the room. Smoke was everywhere. My little brother was crying, and my mother and older brother were sleeping. I tried to run to the door, but my movements felt like they were in slow motion. I was following this beautiful beam of light. I reached the door, and the golden figure passed through. I remember I tried to open the door, but it was locked. I was floating and wanted to come down to reach the door, but it was impossible. I then saw the beautiful beam of light outside on the patio. It was floating up, and I moved his left hand so I could follow him. He was more beautiful outside. This was like the Jesus images I saw in the Bible. His face was shining, and he was smiling. His eyes were so deep. I felt that he could send me lights of love. I wished to stay like that forever. It was the most amazing experience in my whole life. It was like he was taking me to heaven with him, and I was happy to follow him. I then came back for a moment. I remembered my mom and my brothers, so I just couldn't leave. I asked him to please save them, and he smiled. I flew through the door, and two of us went up to the next floor. We were outside the door of my neighbor's. She was a 60-year-old lady who was very close to my family. I recall trying to scream her name, but I had fallen mute. I tried to pull the doorknob, and it was impossible. I then turned my face to the Lord and silently begged with my heart for God to save my mother and my brothers, even if it meant my death. What happened next was a miracle. I saw Jesus knocking on her door three times. She came out of the house and asked who knocked. She did not see anyone and was under the impression that this was a prank committed by the neighborhood kids, so she went back inside her house. I tried to ask her to come downstairs and save us. I saw the Lord Jesus closing his eyes, positioning his right hand in the air, and then placed his left hand on the shining heart that was the center of his chest. He then touched the doorknob, and it opened. In that moment, my neighbor turned around and started toward the door. She then ran down the stairs that led into my house because she could smell the smoke from her house. She started to scream so loudly that a few people woke up and came to help. I saw her knocking on our door and screaming my mother's name so loudly, but there was no response. She then tried to force the door open, but it was so heavy that she couldn't open it alone.
Then her son came down, and she asked him to break the glass window in the door. He took a piece of wood and broke in the window. He was able to unlock the door from inside. They opened the door, grabbed two towels, and took the little burning brazero outside to the patio. I saw them reaching the bedroom and trying to carry out my little brother and my mom. They took them outside, and I begged them to hurry to bring my other brother. I saw them going to my bed, and I was expecting to see my brother there, scared and wide awake. But my heart froze over. I saw my brother and myself lying down on the bed, unconscious. They had to carry my brother outside, and then me. We were lying down on the floor. My mother was already gaining consciousness while another woman was trying to give her water. My brothers and I were on the patio floor. People were performing CPR. Everything felt like a movie. Once I regained a little consciousness, I turned onto my right shoulder to thank the Lord Jesus, but he was gone. The last thing I remember was feeling a very strange force inside my body. My soul was filling into my body again, so I opened my eyes. I was trying to get up despite the coughing and dizziness. I had a massive headache, sore eyes, and sore throat. I knew that this wasn't a dream and that everything was real. I tried to get up to look at everything around me so I could observe every detail. Everybody was regaining consciousness. My brothers were crying. My neighbor asked my mom why she did such a crazy thing by lighting the brazero with no air in the room. My mom replied with nonsense. I tried to say something, but my mom's eyes were already staring at me, and I felt afraid to say anything. A man who was there had some kind of nursing knowledge and said that we needed to cleanse all the toxic smoke and carbon monoxide from our bodies. We were poisoned by it, and it was very dangerous. They made us drink milk, and then the man lifted each of us children and spun us in a little circle in order to force us to vomit. My mom did not want to take us to an emergency room or any clinic, so I know that it was a miracle that Lord Jesus saved us. My neighbor knew, never knew who was knocking at her door. Then I saw a little light in the corner. It looked like golden halos. I walked towards that light, feeling still a little dizzy. As I got closer, I clearly saw a beautiful angel with a bright sword in his hand. He pointed down with his sword to the little grill that was still burning while saying penance three times. Then he told me to take the plastic bowl, fill it with water, put some black charcoal inside, and then drink. I did. After I drank the water, the angel told me to grab some burned ashes and make a cross on my forehead with them. He said that those were signs of penance and obedience. The water was the sign of purification. The ashes represent our Lord burning with his fire of justice. And this was a symbol of the love and promise from the encounter with Jesus. I will remember forever that I was marked by our Lord as his loving child. Afterwards, he told me that I was going to be fine, but different. He said that I would see things that others could not see, 
and that I must be humble and good in heart in my heart. He told me to pray more for people who deeply needed prayers, especially for the innocent children that are killed in the womb. I could not totally comprehend it at the time, but as the years progress, I feel as though I finally understand what he meant. That is the end of Maria's account. Okay, and what a beautiful experience it was. This is clearly an experience that is very um, in line with Maria's, uh, I, I don't want to say upbringing, but her religious beliefs, which, you know, her, parent, uh, her parents apparently weren't active uh, Catholic members. They were never fully, you know, they didn't take their kids to church and so forth is the impression I got. But uh, she still felt a very strong draw to it because she is praying she is reciting prayers in fact and and she even her prayer right before passing out is please god don't let me die without having my first communion i want to feel the sensation of receiving your body and your blood at least once and what a beautiful thing that is her her faith her uh, devotion both to god and to the religion that she uh, was raised to believe in, um, was incredibly validated by this experience. In fact, even as she is coming out of it, uh, she sees an angel, and the angel instructs her to do a few things, such as drink a little bit of water with the uh, with the um, ashes or coal in it, and to you know draw the cross on her forehead and so forth which is all uh, types of actions that she likely um, would relate to um, from the faith that she was that she held uh, up to that point and how beautiful that is that the angel would would follow that my my guess is that the angel himself was a catholic angel and that's that's something that you may find a little bit odd if you're new to near-death experiences, but it appears that there's something about the faiths that we follow, especially those that are deep-seated in families, carried over generations, and so forth, that uh, they seem to carry on with those faiths to some degree in the next life, which is honestly so cool it's so cool she's having this experience and and in her prayers she's being asked or she is asking in her prayers please let her have communion and i even went ahead and uh read some details about you know some of the questionnaire questions and it has a little bit more detail she does have more kind of psychic and telepathy type of experiences premonition dreams, uh, things like that, all of which are very common to uh, near-death experiencers after their experience. Um, in case you haven't been listening long enough to uh, hear about this kind of thing, we call these after-effects. So after somebody has a near-death experience, they're often left with some abilities that just don't have another explanation. Um, but one of the most common ones, and one that we see here, 
is that once somebody has a near-death experience, it's like they're very much more prone to have a second or a third or, you know, even waking um, healthy experiences later. And, and she does have experiences um, seeing Mother Mary and seeing this angel, um, even a, a distressing experience where she is encouraged to have courage, you know, and, and I gather that it's kind of a, you know, as she's preparing for her first communion, it's kind of like this, um, you you hear about this kind of thing in um, Howard Storm's experience, others who have had distressing near-death experiences, it's, it's kind of like a purging. And I don't think of a purging as a punishment, you know, even though the roots of the word purging come from the same roots as purgatory, you know. Uh, we're not talking about going to hell to pay for your sins, but rather a, a form of cleansing and preparation for receiving something great and glorious. And and she seems to have that kind of experience later on. I'm not going to go into the details of that because it's not really pertinent to uh, what we're discussing here as a near-death experience. But um, it does reflect that idea that after having a near-death experience, often the spirit world is open um, more easily to to those who have had these experiences. And, and they have this connection with the other side, as she says, you know, uh, premonition dreams and uh, somewhat psychic type experiences. I am inclined when, when somebody talks about having psychic abilities, my first question for them is almost always, have you had a close brush with death or something similar? And so far, those who have, have uh, been able to authenticate their abilities have all had some kind of experience that was either a near-death experience or some close brush with death that could have easily been or or would have otherwise led to a near-death experience that they either don't remember or didn't have but still had that kind of crack in the veil um, come from that experience. Anyway, I I didn't want to go on too much detail about that but I, I just thought it was worth mentioning. I do find her experience very interesting as a spirit who is wandering around. She doesn't realize she's a spirit, apparently, because she's trying the door and finds it locked and, and things. I don't I don't know how this works exactly, but it appears that often when someone is outside the body, their expectation of why something is not working, for example, trying to open a door and she's not able to, to uh, open the door she seems to be reading it as that it's locked, but it could be that her hand is passing through it and she's not registering it as such. She may even think she is gripping the door and as she's turning, it's not doing anything and so it's not working and she just registers it as being locked. Or it's possible that she did physically feel it locked, in in which case that is interesting because she is a spirit at this point. And because she says she's floating and she wanted to come down to reach the door, but it was impossible, which is kind of interesting. If she couldn't reach the door, how did she know the door was locked? Anyway, um, then she sees a beautiful beam of light on the patio and uh, she moves toward this being that she describes as looking exactly like the Jesus images that she saw in the Bible. And she takes to be Jesus. And uh, 
And so Jesus is kind of guiding her out to the patio. I'm not clear. I mean, it, it sounds like they had closed off all the entrances, so I don't know how she got out. I'm not sure she's sure. I'm just kind of scanning over here to see what uh, what she said about that. But uh, but she says, I flew through the door. So I gather that she she passed through the door like the spirit before her did, like the angel had passed through the door and she was able to do that, um, following the light and so forth. And And then she goes up to this upstairs neighbor's house uh, and is trying to shout for her to come, but the neighbor's not hearing, obviously because she's a spirit. She doesn't know she's a spirit at this point. Again, that very interesting factoid that sometimes people who are dead don't know they're dead yet. And how long that can last, I don't know. It probably depends on how soon they encounter somebody from the other side who can either explain it to them or they encounter something that that just, you know, kind of clicks for them that they're like, oh, dude, duh, I'm dead. You know, and, and sometimes that doesn't happen right away. I, I find that interesting. I'm not sure how to explain it. But uh, anyway, she goes up and she's trying to get the attention of her neighbor who's not hearing her shouting. And she tries to pull on the door, but she says it was impossible. I assume that she's passing through, you know, her hand's passing through it or something like that. She turns to face the Lord and silently begs him in her heart to to save her mom and her sisters, even if it means my death, she says. Which, I don't know if there's something to that or not, but it appears that there could be. Because in this moment, she basically offers her life in place of her mother and her brothers. She says, what happened next was a miracle. I saw Jesus knocking on her door three times. She came out of the house and asked who knocked. She didn't see anyone. and was under the impression that it was a prank by the neighbor kids. So she went back in her house. He knocks, a, or no, he opens the door this time. And she comes out to see what's going on. You know, who's opening my door? He's knocking on my door. And, and then she smells the smoke and comes screaming that, you know, the, to get, you know, people out and get help um, to help people get out of the, the burning apartment or the smoke that's coming out of the apartment and so forth. Anyway, this is very interesting because it's Jesus. It takes Jesus to knock on the door. It takes Jesus to open the door. Now, I try not to superimpose my uh, own personal religious beliefs on these experiences, but I do find a consistency here that makes it kind of make sense, even according to, you know, what we experience in, or what we see in near-death experiences. And we see that the angel couldn't open the door. She couldn't open, though at least the angel never tried, but passed right through the door, so apparently couldn't. But Jesus was able to knock on the door. Why? Well, my personal belief is that he has a resurrected body. And with that physical resurrected body, he can knock on a door or open a door and so forth. He can also probably remain invisible. She's not clear whether Jesus remains after knocking. But clearly he comes back to open the door. If he did, my guess is that he's there, but she can't see him. But because of his resurrected body, again, 
my own thoughts, but uh, because he has a resurrected body, he can knock on that door. He has all the powers of physical and also the powers of spiritual. He can see her. He can mingle with her, probably can embrace her, all those things. It's almost like, if this is true, what I'm suggesting, it's almost as if the resurrected body has both the abilities of the spirit body and the physical body combined. And that would explain a lot, both in these experiences as well as, you know, uh, for those of us who believe in the Word of Scripture. So, uh, kind of an interesting little little tidbit there. But it is a miracle what happens because he's able to get her attention. It takes a couple of times, but he gets her attention enough to come and get her to, the neighbor to come down, wake up everybody, get them out of there, and save the family. Now, um, I don't know uh, beyond this. There may be more details in the questions of what happens with her mother, who is clearly mentally, um, has some mental difficulties that she needs to deal with and so forth. But uh, uh, we don't hear uh, beyond that in this account uh, whether she's able to deal with those uh, mental challenges. But but we do hear from Maria, if that is how it's pronounced, um, that she goes on to, to... become deeply even more spiritual. Her first communion includes a uh, an encounter with an angel. Um, she sees what looks like golden halos and um, and sees this angel with a bright sword. Um, you know, and we, we already talked about that little bit that he experienced, but she does go on after that to become a very spiritual person, and it appears from what we can see that she is very strong in her faith, very strong in her church, in her Catholic upbringing, which again is is beautiful. She, I, I will read this, um, the two questions around her religion. She says, what was your religion prior to your experience? She says, Christian, Catholic. I was only a little girl. My faith was so pure and big that I think it made a lot of sense that I had an amazing experience with our Lord Jesus. And then the, to the question, have your religious practices changed since your experience? She says, yes, it was an important thing to do when I was a little child, but no, it, it became a must-do. Everything I do is for the Lord and to share his love, to protect little ones, to rescue the values and beliefs that are the base and foundations of the true church of Jesus Christ and his blessed mother as the Holy Spirit guide us for a better way of living and enjoy and hope for the eternal life as Jesus promises to all. Now, she doesn't specify there that She's referring to the Catholic Church, but I think that's what she's saying. I think that's what... Yeah, actually, I just read ahead again. Sorry to be so ad-lib about this. It says, what is your religion now? Christian, Catholic. For the last two years, I have been more active on my church and ministry than on my entire life. So she feels a confirmation of her upbringing, of, of her Catholic faith. It reminds me of the experience where the Muslim girl is told by her grandfather, who is dead, you need to go back and help strengthen the faith of your brother. Bring him back into the fold, which is the Muslim fold. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? 
I'm not suggesting by this. I, I try not to suggest any final answer out of this when it comes to the religious question. It's not fair for me to do so. But what I am taking from this is that we don't have to so much freak out about whether our religion is exactly right so long as it is bringing us closer to God. Now, if we feel right in our religion, then I think it's good for us to be involved in it. If we feel pulled away from God in it, find a better one. But uh, I don't think it's fair to assume from these experiences that religion is just a man-made thing. It is not. It is more than that. And while there are some religions that are less likely to bring you to God than others, I think there is a bit of a gradation about that. Some bring you closer than others, and the one that brings you closest to God is probably the best one for you. For me, it is my own faith, which is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, in case you haven't heard me say that before. And I feel very strongly that I need to be here and that it is the right place uh, for me to be. But just because I feel that does not mean that God is not guiding other people in other ways. Now, will they lead him away from their faith and to another faith? I don't know. That's up to him. That's up to him. I just think we have to be careful about judging either people of faith or, of, or judging people of no faith. We can use the guidance given in our religions to help guide people to God. And if that helps them, then that's wonderful. That's fabulous. If it does not, it's okay. Be patient. Pray. I mean, Maria talks about how the angel told her, pray and pray for those who need God, who need help with things. Pray for people. Pray for them. I hope that your faith leads you to the place that will bring you closer to God than anywhere else can. But be patient and don't be afraid to explore and try different things. And don't be surprised if sometimes one bad experience scares you away for a time and then you come back and find a better experience later with whatever faith you feel drawn to. I think God is trying to reach out to us always, whether through religion, whether through our own personal prayers and guidance. I think reaching out to him is absolutely worthwhile. And even if you're of the persuasion, as some who follow near-death experiences are, even if you're one of those people who believe that there actually is no God, that there is just this cosmic oneness in the universe and that it doesn't include an all-powerful being other than the fact that all of us are a collective all-powerful being even if even if you're sort of a spiritual atheist if you could call it that just allow the goodness and light that you do have to guide you and help you along the way because i think i think there is more going on here than just personalized uh, spiritual hunches that 
are inconsistent with everything else that everybody else is, is learning. There's more going on here. And we have to be very patient with each other and loving with each other. I would not suggest for a moment that all churches are true or that they're all right, or even that there is a certain number of them that are true or right. That is not my place. I personally feel that there is one, but I also feel that there are all of these churches out there to guide us toward God, and wherever we are, they can help us do that. I think that's the case. I believe it's the case. Again, here I go, getting all testimony on you when I try to take a scientific approach to <laughs> near-death experiences. I just want to iterate that, uh, or reiterate that you don't have to be afraid of religion and you don't have to be afraid of non-religion. Let's just put it that way. Seek guidance from God. Seek guidance from the other side in the way that will bring you closest to him. And I think it will lead you to a place that you will find great fulfillment, opportunities to serve, and bless those around you, no matter what is going on in your life. That is, seems to be what Maria's experience was, and so many others. And in light of that also, I would say that if you completely disagree with me on all of that, that's totally okay. It's okay for us to to have different understandings about things, different beliefs, even different things that we openly teach about things. And that's important that we, that we honor each other's differences. It's that, it's that harmony. Harmony is created by difference, not by exact sameness. If you have exact sameness in music, that's called unison. And while unison has its place, and there is a place for it, harmony is where things get really beautiful. In music and we are on a planet in a life that is so diverse with so many different cultures so many different ethnic backgrounds so many different religions so many different ways of approaching the world so many different paradigms that if we can learn to love and honor and respect each other in our different paradigms in our different um, ideas and religious beliefs we're going to find this a heaven on earth. I, I really, truly believe that. And yes, I, I do not hesitate for a moment to, to recognize that there are religions that are downright evil and do evil things and lead people to do horrible things. And I would not suggest that those are inspired of God. Of course not. That's not what we're talking about here. But if you look in any of the major world religions, you will find great goodness. There is a reason that there is such a massive number of people that follow them, and it is because there is something in them that reflects the light within the, the people who follow their tenets. And the more we can recognize the, that light and draw people away from those evil places and into the more lighted, beautiful places, the more we draw each other slowly, consistently, and gradually to the pure light of God and the light that we all came from, that we are all returning to, and that one day we can all
join together. And one more point I want to make about this, and again, I'm sorry if this is getting off of the beaten path of, of trying to share in sort of a scientific sort of approach. I I just can't resist myself. I feel so inclined to these spiritual uh, thoughts and ideas. But I know that it is common among near-death experience uh, literature to point to the idea that, and maybe I've pointed this out recently, and I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but um, that nothing that we do here is wrong, or that nothing that we do really actually matters because we're all going back to this good, great, wonderful, beautiful place. I do not subscribe to that idea, and I am not one to say that we will be cast out to hell or go to this horrible place and suffer horrible penance for our sins, so to speak. I I don't think that's what it's about, but I do suggest that we are here to learn, and learning implies growing, learning from mistakes, having mistakes, suffering personally for those mistakes. We do that all the time in this life. We're constantly suffering for stupid things that we do, and for the unwise things that we do, and the things that maybe we couldn't have known better, but now we do. I think that happens on a spiritual level too, and that's good, because we are here to learn. We are here to grow, to become what we came here to become, to accomplish what we came here to accomplish. And so don't think that you can just do with your life whatever you want. Learn to get in touch with your deeper self. Learn to pray and find out what this life is really about for you. And learn to do it in a way that is acting in love and in, in defense of what's right. And be prepared because there's some things that you're going to think are right now that later you'll find are not right. That's part of learning. But what you really, deeply, truly, in your gut believe to be right will guide you to more right. And I think that's kind of the intent here. So I would not say that uh, it doesn't matter what we do. It does matter. We need to learn to grow and follow what we know to be right as best we know. Anyway, maybe that's enough of a tangent for today. I just want to thank you all for being here. Thank you for your contributions, those of you that can. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reaching out to us. Just thank you so much, all of you, again, for listening. Chaz and I thank you for listening to Near Death Experience Podcast. You can reach out to your hosts by using Chaz, C-H-A-S, at ndepodcast.org and John, J-O-H-N, at ndepodcast.org. You can text or call the show at 970-633-2278. That's 970-NDE-CAST. Calling allows you to record your message in three-minute increments. If your message runs longer than three minutes, just call back and we can splice the segments together. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching NDE Podcast on those sites. And join our Facebook NDE Podcast community. 
please leave feedback for the show on iTunes or via whatever application you use to listen to us. Doing so will allow our audience to grow and help spread the knowledge about spiritually transformative experiences to more listeners. You can help keep the show financially viable by purchasing Chaz's music or his book under the store link on the ndepodcast.org website or by going to patreon.com slash ndepodcast where you can make a one-time only donation or become an ongoing supporter. Whether you decide to write or call us or you choose to support the show either financially or by writing a review or by listening and sharing us with others, we are so humbly thankful for you. We can't begin to express how much touching you spiritually means to us. Chaz and I thank you for joining us. We hope you keep listening and applying the understanding you gain from the show about your existence after this earthly life so you have a better life right now. And to love one another. This is your host, John Messer, reminding you that it's all about attitude and gratitude. And our attitude should always be love.